Good morning. I want to welcome you to Restoration. My name is Dan Song. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be together this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 37 through 47. And I'm going to ask Julie Ree uh, to come on up, and she'll be reading God's, uh, God's Word for us. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles underneath the chair in front of you. And there you could turn to page 910 of the church Bibles, and you could follow along there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love for you to take that with, uh, with you uh, so that you could actually have God's Word and study it and learn it. Um, but we'll also have it projected on the screen for you for those that rather just follow along and listen. So let's give attention to God's word as Julie reads from us, Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. Acts chapter 2, Thanks be to God. Thanks, Julie. I forgot to give a little context before Julie read the passage for us, but we've been in this sermon series called The Story of the Church. And as we've looked over the last three weeks in this story of Acts, we saw how Jesus ascends to heaven but he gives to the people a mission and he equips them to say that the Holy Spirit will come to you to equip you to do the mission that God has called you to do. Well, last week, what did we see? We see that God kept his promise and the Holy Spirit comes upon the people and the church is born. As the people begin to speak in tongues, and we'll look at that on Pentecost Sunday when our, uh, who just led our worship this morning, Zach, preaches on Pentecost. But we saw how all the people came to believe and this, this church began out of this Holy Spirit, which meant God's presence with them. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they're speaking in tongues, there's all these great signs and miracles that are happening. And so people are bewildered and amazed, but there's also people who are confused and some who think that they're just flat out drunk, right? Right? People are saying, oh, they're drinking the new wine. So Peter gets up, one of the apostles, and he gives the first sermon of the church. And he talks about this beautiful story of the Old Testament and the New Testament of Jesus. And we'll look at that a little bit here later. But out of that sermon, the people are cut to the heart, as Julie just read for us. They're cut to the heart, and they ask this question, what can I do? What shall I do? Or what shall we do? And this question that they ask, Peter responds. And that's what we're going to look at this morning of this new community that is formed. So let me pray for us and then we'll get started here this morning. Lord, we give you thanks for your spirit that is present in, in us and with us this morning. And as you have invited us to worship, as you have redeemed us and forgiven us, Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us and transform us now so that we might people, be people who would bring about transformation not only in our own hearts, but in our communities, in our families, in our neighborhoods. Do that good work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I thought about this aspect of this new community that is formed here, as we just read, I thought about technology, right? And I know for every single one of us in this room, we are navigating the challenges and the difficulties of technology. Whether you are a kid who's complaining to your parents about why can't I have more screen time, 
or why my parents take away my phone at night and it has to be in the family room or in the living room. Or for us as adults, trying to navigate how much time we use, how addicted we are to social media and different things. Well, there's an author, and he was actually the co-founder of Wired magazine, Kevin, Kevin, uh, Kevin Kelly. And he has done some good work on this topic of technology. And in one article that I read recently, he actually looks to the Amish to show us how and what we can learn about technology and how to use it. Now, you're probably thinking, the Amish? They're the last people we should be learning from, right? It's ironic because we think about the stereotypes of the Amish. But the Amish are very critical in how they use their technology. Kevin Kelly talks about how he goes out to the Amish, and he's in this farm, and there's this $400,000 high-tech machinery that is being used by the Amish, and there's a 10-year-old little girl wearing a bonnet overseeing and supervising the whole thing. So in one sense, you see that they are choosing to use technology in their life. But they're doing it in a way that is very critical and a way in which they're asking the right questions. And what Kevin Kelly says is that they ask these two questions of how they decide what technology to use or what not to use. First is, will this technology strengthen my family? And second, will this technology strengthen our community? Interesting, right? So in essence, if I were to sum this up, the question that they're asking is, how does this impact us? Not the question, how does this impact me? Very different questions. They even thought about using an automobile and cars, and they had tried, but they realized that people were leaving their communities, and so they got rid of it. And so they always ask this question when it comes to technology, how does this impact or affect us? And when we're able to look through that grid of us versus me, they have a community, whether you agree or not, and how they go about doing it, a community that flourishes in how they use technology. Now why I ask, or why I bring this illustration up, or even this question of how does this impact us, is because we have to be able to look through this grid as we think about the new community that God has formed within, here at Restoration. If you're visiting, or you're someone who's other than Christian, you're looking into the faith, this is still very applicable for you as you think about the us versus me, because we are in a very hyper-individualistic culture, aren't we? And as followers of Jesus, and throughout Scripture, what we read is that the God of creation pushes back against individualism and is always about us. As we look at this new community, what I want to be able to just look at briefly, I know it's family worship, we got a little, not a little kids this morning. What I want us to look at is the basis of this new community, and then secondly, the practices of this new community. And as we look at these things, what we'll see is this beautiful question of being able to look through the lens of how does this affect us becomes so pivotal in how we live out our faith 
in a, a watching world that desperately is looking for hope and transformation. So look at, let's first look at the basis of a new community, which we see here in verses 37 through 41. Now, as Peter gives this first sermon to the church, trying to explain what is happening with the Holy Spirit's outpouring to the church, he expounds on the Old Testament scriptures. And he says, when you look at the Old Testament scriptures, this all points to what is happening now, that the promises of God are being fulfilled today with languages being able to tell of what God has done, of all these signs and miracles that are happening. He points and expounds the Old Testament scriptures to show what they are seeing now through the work of the Holy Spirit. But he also, he interprets for them who Jesus was and why he came into this world. And that the Old Testament longing for the Messiah has come. But what happened? Because they were blind and deaf to the Messiah that was here, it was you that rejected him. It was you that crucified him. And because you crucified him, he died. But he is alive. He is not dead. We have seen him. We are eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. But now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit has come. And that is what you are seeing now happening here in the midst of all the craziness of this new community. Now think about this. That is a very confrontational sermon, right? He's saying you were the ones that crucified him. You were the ones that betrayed him. And instead of, instead of getting angry, instead of wanting to kill Peter and the disciples, what happens to these people that are listening, that are watching? They are cut to the heart, and they ask, what shall we do? And Peter, Peter's answer gives us everything we need to know about the basis of this new community. And he's the most qualified to do so, isn't he? Think about that. Isn't Peter the one who betrayed Jesus three times? Isn't he the one who is filled with shame, a loss of hope and despair for betraying Jesus and going against him? But isn't he also the one who experienced the love and forgiveness and restoration and grace of Jesus? And it's this Peter that answers their question, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. When you think about the basis of this new community, in essence, what that is, is recognizing that we are broken, sinful people who bring nothing to the table. And it's when we repent, when we turn from our ways and we turn to the Lord and live for Him and we acknowledge our brokenness, when we acknowledge our sin and that we have nothing to offer, even our good things, when we acknowledge those things, guess what happens? 
He forgives us. He restores us. He gives us the grace that we need, and He fills us with the Holy Spirit. God's presence, we talked about that last week, right? God's presence, His love that is near to us in our hearts. That is ours. But it's on the basis of recognizing that we have nothing. That we are broken, sinful people who betray and go against God. We try to live as God. We try to do things our own way. And we've seen that over and over again in our world, right? When we try to take things into our own hands, what happens? It all falls apart. You might experience some temporary joy, some temporary success, but we recognize that still that falls short to the joy and contentment and the fulfillment that we long for. But it's when we come to recognize our sin, our brokenness, and we repent. God fills us with his love, and Peter is the first one that understands that and has experienced that. And for us who are followers of Jesus, you know what that means. You've experienced that in your own life. And that this promise is not just for you, but it is for your children and for those that are far off. And when Peter preaches that and says that, do you know who he's thinking of or who the, those people are far off? That's us. We are those Gentiles who God has kept his promise and we are recipients of his grace and his love, undeserved, unmeasured, and it is ours. But I love how he says that we are to be baptized as well. Baptism, if you've been here long enough, you've witnessed baptisms here. But what baptism is, is this, it signifies the joining of the, to the visible body, the local church. It is not just enough to be a follower of Jesus, but baptism signifies your joining to this new community of people who are saying, I am broken. I don't have it all together. And it's only by the grace of God, I am who I am. It's only through this community as we recognize our brokenness, as we share in this community. We, are, we recognize that baptism signifies this beautiful promise of God, this covenant promise that we are His and He is ours. And that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we see here through water, right? As the water is poured over an individual, it represents the cleansing, the forgiveness that you receive. So that every time you look back on your baptism, you remember that you are His. There's no condemnation. There's no shame. There's no guilt. And even though you might, the world tells you that to cancel you, that you don't deserve or you're worthy, parents, workplaces, your boss, your friends at school, we're to look to our baptism to remember that we are His. And we belong to this family, this new community. And that's why baptism is so significant for you and for me. And we get the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God's real presence in us, dwelling within us, transforming us, reminding us that we are His. Interceding on our behalf. This Holy Spirit works in our lives so that we might become more and more like Jesus. And what do you see happen? As, as they repent and are baptized, and as they receive the Holy Spirit, what do we see from 
Peter's sermon, 3,000 are added to their number. 3,000. And when I thought about that, I thought about Jesus's, Jesus's uh, upper room discourse with his disciples, right? Before he went to the cross, before he died, he gathered his disciples, and what did he promise them? In John 16, he tells them, I'm going away. And the disciples are gutted, right? They've been following Jesus for three years, and they're gutted to the heart. And sorrow fills their hearts, as Jesus says. But he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I know children. You know, I did this as a kid. I always told my parents, if, if Jesus was here today, I would actually believe. I would tell my mom that all the time. I'd be like, if Jesus was here, I would actually believe more of what the Bible says. But it's just not true. Why? Because Jesus says it is more advantageous that I go away. Why? So that the Holy Spirit would come. And we see that play out as this new community is formed on the basis of Jesus' righteousness and not my own. 3,000 come from 120 to 3,120. The church begins to grow through God's word that is preached. As you recognize their brokenness and repent and are baptized, the Spirit fills them and they are changed forever. That is the basis of this new community. But secondly, we have to look at the practices of this new community, which we find in verses 42 through 47. Now because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon this church and the people. We see these practices that form this new community. And they were devoted to five things we see here. Five things. And I just want to briefly go through each one of these as we think and reflect on are these practices true of us? First is the apostles' teaching. It's the ministry of the word. It's the gospel, the good news that we hear on Sunday mornings, through our Bible studies, through your community groups. It's the one that forms us in how we are to live in our lives as we think about our vocation and our work. How does the gospel impact my marriage? How does the gospel impact how I take care of my kids? Technology. As we think about how the gospel impacts my friendships around me, my dating life. The gospel the apostles' teaching and the gospel helps us to navigate the complexities and the difficulties and the challenges of life. They were devoted to that every single day. I remember there was actually one of our own members of our church and we were going through our discipleship groups. We were in the Gospel of Mark. And as we were going through the Gospel of Mark, he decided to buy an ESV study Bible. He never owned a study Bible. And this dude was on fire. Like he, he read not only the passages, but he would read every single study, you know, of the, of the commentary of every single page of the Gospel of Mark. Whether he was at home, at work, even on the airplane. Wherever he was traveling from work, he would be in the Gospel of Mark. And he would just share with me 
how beautiful it was to, for the first time in his life, study God's Word and eat it and digest it and, and wrestle with it. That's what devotion to the apostles' teaching was or is. It's meditating on it. It's wrestling with it. It's studying. It's digging in. It's spending time. It's reflecting. It's not enough to just passively listen. But like the Bereans, as we'll look on later, it's this consistent studying and wrestling. And it takes hard work. But there's a devotion to to learning and studying God's Word. But not just that. We see fellowship. Fellowship. I know this is kind of a Christianese word we like to sometimes use. But fellowship meant this sharing of life on life together. I know a lot of times we think it's very transactional, right? It's like, I'll come over to your house, then you come over to mine because you invited us over. Or, hey, you bought me a meal, I'll buy you a meal next time. Or, hey, you gave me that car seat, now I'll, I'll, I'll get you something later on. You know, we, we view fellowship in that sense of community, of sharing, that it's this transaction. But when you look at the New Testament church, this fellowship was a sharing of one another. It was sacrificial. They literally sold off their inheritance. And it's not the kind of inheritance we think about in the U.S. where it's like maybe, you know, a hundred years or so. I mean, think about the Old Testament Israel people. Hundreds and hundreds of years and what they did, what did they do when they saw someone in need? They sold their inheritance and gave that money to those that needed it. They practiced hospitality in the homes and broke bread together. They shared in their sorrows. They shared in their grief. They shared in their joys. There was a sharing of life, of one another's life together. And that's the kind of fellowship that we see here. Tim Keller said it this way as we think about how this is rooted in Christ and in the gospel. He said, the relationship between two Christians outweighs any other relationship you have on the basis of your race, on the basis of your gender, or on the basis of your social status. You are a Christian first, and you're white second. You're a Christian first, and you're black second. You're a Christian first, and you're wealthy or poor second. You're a Christian first, and you're an American second. Community can only be based on the presence of God. You see, you're a Christian first before you were Asian. He didn't add Asian-ness in there. There's enough of us Asians in here, right? It is our union to Christ as followers of Jesus that unites us where we are able to share together in each other's lives. But third, we see sacraments. The breaking of bread. And I appreciate most scholars will say that this is actually talking about communion as we'll partake in a few minutes. Now some will say, well, is it table fellowship just eating together? Well, later on in verse 46, it talks about breaking bread together. But here in verse 42 and 43, it's talking about the breaking of bread. There's an article in front of it. Whereas in verse 46, there isn't. And what it tends to lead me to think that this is talking about the sacraments. Whether it's baptism or the Lord's Supper. We come together each Sunday to partake together as a family of God, as this new community. 
eating together, being fed by Christ at the Lord's table, not restoration's table, not the PCA table, but Christ's table, the church's table, so that we might be able to be fed and nourished and strengthened for wherever God calls us this week. Remember during COVID how difficult and challenging it was? And the lament we experienced, and we even prayed these prayers of not being able to commune at the table together. And the stories I heard from many of you saying that the first time we got together again and broke bread and had table fellowship here at the Lord's Supper, you were in tears. Why? Because this is the means of grace for you and for me. We need this. As much as we need God's Word, we need the table to feed us and nourish us and strengthen us. They were devoted to the sacraments and the Lord's Supper. But we also see they were devoted to the prayers. Prayer signifying our dependence on God. Our absolute need to come to Him in times of sorrow. To come to Him and be in relationship with Him. They were devoted to prayer. But lastly, they were devoted to mission. And why I say mission here is because if you look at verse 47, it reads, they had favor with all the people. That stuck out to me. They had favor with all the people. What does that mean? That in the midst of their practicing these things, apostles' teaching, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, prayer, selling one's goods, taking care of the needy, what did that do? It earned the trust and favor of those that were watching. And that transformed the Roman Empire and throughout Asia. They were on mission. It wasn't just this insular group that got together and, and studied God's word and prayed and fellowshiped with one another. There was a mission that they had that Jesus sent them on with the Holy Spirit's work to be able to bring life change to those in their neighborhoods and in their communities. They found favor with all the people. You know what we think about? We think about the 3,000 that were added with Peter's preaching. And yes, you definitely need the Word of God to understand our need for salvation and redemption. But what we can't lose is the ethic of living a life that Jesus has taught us a way that the new community has been practicing. And in doing so, what does that do? Day by day, there were, there were those who were being saved. Do you see that? Sometimes, yes, it's belief and then belonging. 3,000 were added because they believed in and heard God's word being preached. But how much more important it is today in our cultural moment, that it's first belonging. It's the practices, the ethics that we're living in your schools, with your friends, in your workplaces, with your families, in your neighborhoods. As you're living this out, and as people long for that, and are, as they come into our community groups, as they come to our Bible studies, if you invite them to worship, they sense something different. And it's as they sense, sense this belonging 
then they come to a place where they believe. And that's what we see here. That you see both and. Through God's words that's preached, through the gospel that's given to them, they 3,000 are added. But it's also through belonging. The practices of this new community that there were many that were being added day by day who were being saved. That's what we see here. The basis to understand that it is because of what God has done for me, not on anything that I've done. And it's as we are filled with the Spirit, we see the practices that are that form this new community to believe and to bring people to Christ. As I wrap up, I want to share this story that was shared by Anne Vask of Voskamp in her book, The Dream of You. And it's this people group in Namibia called the Himba people. And when a Himba woman would be pregnant, there would be all these Himba sisters that would go out into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they would spend countless days and nights and they would conjure up a song that would be for this child that would be born. And they thought and they believed that with each child, every single child would have a different heartbeat, right? And so as they, as they, as they listened and they, as they watched the stars, they would finally come to create a song just for that child that would be born. So they would go back into their community and they would teach all of them this song for the child that would be born. And so when the child was born, guess what they would do? They would sing that particular, specific, unique song for that child that was born. Later, when the child would begin education in her, in her first school, the village and the community would come around again and they would sing that song for that child as she would go into school for the first time. For initiation into adulthood they would sing that same song again for that child and at the time of marriage the sisters would come around again and sing this song for that sister but there was one more occasion in which the Himba people would also sing that song if at any time during her life, the sister would lose her way, fall short, forget who she really is, or let anything steal the dream of who she was meant to be. They would invite her to the center of the village, and every single person in that community would form this safe circle around her, and they would sing that song to her again. They sing that song because Himba's sisters believed that that change happens when people remember who they are and whose they are. That's the gospel. When we remember who we are and whose we are in this new community that God has formed, in what Christ has done for us, this is the kind of community that we can become because of Jesus' generosity, because of his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, his love and his grace and his commitment to us. Because of that, we can 
sing our song to one another in times of hardship, in times of sorrow and grief. Even as we continue to grieve Mike's loss, and as Yoshi is a widow, what does that look like for us to come around her and to bring her food and to care for her so that she isn't alone? What does that look like? Well, it looks like this, to remember who we are and whose we are and what Christ has done as we live out these practices, it will form us and shape us to be a people in a community that the world will long for, will, sense of, will come to a sense of belonging and be transformed. And the Lord will add to our number because of His promise that it is for you and for your children and for those far off. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we have a community that can practice and be devoted to these things of your teaching, of a fellowship that is costly and sacrificial, to be able to come here to the table now and to be strengthened in our hearts by your Spirit, to be able to be devoted in prayer, to care for one another and lift one another's burdens up, and to continue to be a people who are on mission. So as people are invited into this place, that they might believe and know the beautiful story of the gospel and, and, and believe and come to know you. Lord, do that good work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.